This is an encore edition of Manson Mitchell from February 5th, 2022. Their guest was Dan Millman discussing the way of the peaceful warrior. Who are you and why are you doing this? We are bad men and for the money. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy Saturday. Happy weekend, everyone. I'm Gary Nance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour, ably assisted as always on Saturdays by tall guy Nathan. Am I going to have to start saying uncle? Nathan yeah, Miller? I heard that and you know, missed the little prefix there. Uh, this Earlier this week, I was uh, just became an uncle to Genevieve, my uh, brother and his wife's daughter on Tuesday. First time uncle. Congratulations. French name. Yes. To all concerns. Well, that is a wonderful event. A moment of love, big time. Way Definitely. We've already done the Zoom been... call and stuff like that. Got to meet with her and say hi and listen to her coo, cry, and giggle. And very cute and very loving moment for sure. Well, oh, just, good just for look, you. inevitably, you can look forward to that urgent invitation to come and see the baby. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're still not quite in that digital age, and we're going to be headed out there in probably about a few weeks or so once they get all settled in with the baby and get everything Excellent. scheduled out. Well, that's great. Congratulations, Nathan. That's Thank wonderful you. news. We have some other wonderful news related to our show today. We certainly do. We scored an interview with Dan Millman. The great Dan Millman, yes. And new book. New book coming out. It's out, in fact. We have our own copy right here, and we read it all the way through, gained a lot by reading it, and we want to share that courtesy of Dan today. Did you want to give him his mad props? I'd be happy to Go do that. Go for it. Dan Millman teaches The Peaceful Warrior's Way in the United States and around the world, author of 18 books published in 29 languages. Dan is also a former world champion athlete, Stanford University gymnastics coach, martial arts instructor, and Oberlin College professor. His book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, was adapted into a 2006 feature film. Dan and his wife, Joy, live in Brooklyn, New York, and we'll be sure to give out more information about how you can connect with Dan Millman at the bottom of the hour. Welcome to Manson Mitchell. Once again, Dan Millman, we read every word. Oh, that's just lovely. And, and what a nice way to start the show with Nathan's uh, announcement, yes. loving announcement about his new niece. Yes, 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 yes. Dan, I say this, and I'm not even going to be firmly tongue-in-cheek about it. I'm going to be upfront about it because it's been in the news. Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. Wonderful book. We enjoyed it thoroughly and gained a lot by reading it. Here's the question I have for you. Do you suspect that there is, oh, I don't know, some backwater school board somewhere that thinks maybe the content of your book is just not what the situation requires and we are going to ban him. (laughs) Have you run into any of that? Are you getting yourself banned? (laughs) Well, not yet, but uh, it'll at least mean somebody is reading it, maybe. (laughs) Ah, there you go. There you go. Read it to ban it. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But your works, Dan, are for questers. 
They're true seekers. They're spiritual seekers and people who are, I think, basically unafraid to look at the unknown, to try to peer through the veil into the greater issues of life. Not unlike those, and I'm going way, way, way back to philosophy 101 class, God, many moons ago, where there was the allegory of the cave. And my appreciation of Plato's allegory of the cave is that there's a whole lot more that you don't know. And not only do you not know it, as long as you occupy these frail, fallible bodies with our fallible minds, there's a whole lot you're never going to know in a single lifetime. And so you press on seeking to know how much you can gain in the way of enlightenment without ever aspiring to know it all. Yes. And in my view, I think everyone is on a spiritual quest, whether or not they would use those terms, whether or not it's conscious. Um, but everyone is seeking something, a sense of fulfillment, understanding, love, uh, a worth, meaning, purpose, direction in their life. So in that sense, that broader sense, I would call that a spiritual quest. Um, it, it's not to do necessarily with beliefs of one kind or another. But it, yes, as you pointed out, it's a seeking of life's bigger picture and, and uh, uh, delving into the mystery of life. So that's why I think it was important that uh, I shared the true story of my spiritual quest, because I wouldn't write a memoir, uh, and this is my only memoir, actually, uh, a true story. I wouldn't write it presuming that uh, so many people want to read about this Dan Millman character. I believe the value in the book and the reason I wrote it was to uh, shed some light onto the larger picture and our common quest uh, for purpose. One of the things that I found particularly interesting is that in the book, you talk about four very big influences in your life, influencers in your life, actual people. And you talk about the things that you gleaned from them. And I was saying to Gary this morning, in a way, you know, I really understand where Dan is coming from, because Gary and I have been on air now 15 years. And we have talked to hundreds of people. And we have read hundreds of books. In most cases, we will read the book before we bring the author on. There are very few times where we don't. And I feel like I've had a lot of education. And so the sense that I had from reading your book, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, is that you had also synthesized a lot of things that you had learned and a lot of things that you had read At one point, you had, I I believe it was an editor saying, you know, people want to hear from you, Dan, not from all these other people. But all these other people influence you. You, No person can stand alone and just and and get all the wisdom of the world. Don't we Mm. all have to learn from each other? Isn't that what you did? Right. You're raising some important points. Uh, And another reason I wrote the book was to share my lineage. We all stand on the shoulders of others. um, And everyone, every one of us have had mentors and role models and influences in our life. Maybe one or two or three teachers we remember from elementary, middle school, high school, college. Um, But other than in the formal teaching roles, we've all had friends and 
And, and uh, even, even our parents have been provided positive and sometimes negative examples in various ways. So we've all been shaped by our circumstances. And so when I, when I write of the four mentors, uh, as you know, one I call the professor, one I call the guru and the warrior priest, and finally the sage. These four had radically different approaches. There's not a lot of overlap in their styles of teaching, their methods, or their purposes, and their ultimate goals. Um, so um, I want to make clear, now these were heavy hitters, and they each represent a fundamental approach to this spiritual quest for many people, uh, either a technological approach or a devotional approach uh, to an enlightened master, um, or uh, an, an adventure, uh, and finally, uh, deep, simple wisdom that brings us back to earth, which is my experience with the four. And right, by the way, I wasn't a spiritual vagabond, just gathering initiations from one teacher than another. This is over a two decades, 20-year period that I studied with them, one after the next. And of course, in the book, I go into what attracted me what I experienced, and then why I moved on. You, you were serially monogamous with <laughs> exactly. your teachers. <laughs> exactly. Very good. Went deep with all of them. Uh, when, I, um, when I read as much as, as we read, I, I plod through some books where I feel like I, I've heard this before, and then there's that gold nugget. It's like, oh, I never heard that before. No one ever said it quite like that before. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there is something to be gotten from, from any, practically any book. And it is, it, is, uh, it is hard to put it all together. But one of the things that um, we were talking about recently was that you have to take all this information and do something with it. And, and don't you find that a lot of people stop at the reading part and then they put the book back on the shelf? Yes, yes. And that, that's true. Some, some people pretend to teach, others pretend to learn. I, I've seen that happen. Um, and, and yet I think you'll appreciate, Suzanne, the great quote by Andre Gide, who said, Everything that needs to be said has already been said, but it needs to be said again because no one was really paying attention. <laughs> so each of us as, as teachers, uh, as people who share with others, um, we're all expressing it in our own way. And I, I, I think it, this opens the point, gives me the opportunity to explain that I, I didn't simply try to reiterate um, or summarize even the teachings of these various people. Um, there are times where their teaching shines through certain phrases, uh, ideas that I've shared through my work. But what they did uh, in my own case was after I processed deeply and embodied what I learned from each of these four mentors, um, I expressed it in my own way, the way of the peaceful warrior. And so I'm not just parroting their words. Um, I actually have come up, they opened doors of insight that allowed me for my own expression, my own way of uh, expressing universal truths in a practical way that we can apply in daily life. That's always been my primary goal. You know, when I was young, as I indicate 
in, in the book, um, in my foundational stage, I loved self-improvement. I read books on um, speed reading and, and memory courses and speed mathematics and sleight of hand and ventriloquism um, and, and all kinds of skills. I loved learning and improving myself. However, I think it was in my later college years or soon after, it struck me that no matter how much I improved myself, only one person benefited. But if I could reach out and touch the lives of other people, and I didn't know how at the time, um, that could make my life more meaningful. And I think because of that openness and that desire to share whatever I learned with others uh, was my calling as a teacher. And I think it opened me up to finding these particular mentors and one day sharing them, even though I had no idea I would do so. Maybe this is a good time for me to just recollect, Dan, in a way that may call up some memories of your own. I have a feeling that will happen. Back in 1975, I made two separate trips to San Francisco. I was living in Orange County, which Californians will recognize as virtually two states, certainly two different mindsets. And yet there I was. I wanted to go see how the other half lived up there north of Fresno. And so I went to San Francisco, two road trips, and a few things happened, one of which just seems frivolous, but to me it wasn't at the time. I wanted to be, and chuckle away if you must, I wanted to be in San Francisco to watch an episode of The Streets of San Francisco. Because I thought, okay, what is consonant with the way people actually live here? They're not all criminals, right? They're not all hippies. Of course, by 1975, that had largely burned out. But there were alternative lifestyle forever choices to be made in San Francisco Bay Area. I think that's part of its charm myself. But when I went there, there were certain things I wanted to see and do. I was a tourist who wanted to see how people interact and how they appreciate their surroundings if they're at Fisherman's Wharf, if they're at Pier 39, going to these places and just being. And there were a few other places I wanted to see too. So I went to various parts of the city. Hardly could I cover all of it. And never did make that trip out to Alcatraz. You want to talk about people having to survive human misery. They're under some of the toughest conditions imaginable at the time. And yet... These were human beings learning what they had to learn in a cave of someone else's devising because of the things they did to land them there. Well, so I say all this, Dan, by way of finally asking you, when you recall San Francisco, and of course, let's not forget Berkeley, that whole scene in the 1960s and then moving into the so-called me decade of the 1970s, what stands out as emblematic maybe even symptomatic of what it meant to be a sentient person, athletic build and training, philosophical mindset right there in that epicenter of alternative thought and expression. Wow. You don't ask yes or no questions, do you, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> well, as, a, as an LA boy, I grew up in Los Angeles, as you know, um, and who spent much of my life with, with my wife, Joy, as well up in Northern California. I can tell you, yes, there is life above Fresno. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, and by the way, there is life in Fresno. I taught at the Fresno Writers Conference once. Mm, um, okay. So it's a wonderful state. And as you know, the coasts, 
California, but also the East Coast, New York, and so on, uh, where I live now, um, they get new ideas first, you know, and it takes a while to filter into the middle of the country. And there's a lighthearted jibe about living in the Midwest, where I have lived in Ohio for some years as well, and taught there uh, affectionately. I have wonderful memories. But uh, there's a saying that, you know, if the earth ever comes to an end, I want to live in Nebraska because I won't know about it for 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's not really fair. There are bright, bright people everywhere. But the coasts do absorb this. And and of course, we were at the epicenter of the uh, human potential movement. It started, I mean, my story carries from the counterculture 60s to the, the spiritual questing and discovery of the 70s, and then uh, the human potential movement through the 80s and beyond. Um, and it was quite exciting when I was at Berkeley. I mean, I, I walked through Sproul Plaza when Mario Savio was standing atop the police car and the crowds gathered around in the Sproul sit-ins. My mother, who was uh, a quite uh, radically, uh, a radical sympathizer, was disappointed I didn't take part in the Sproul Hall sit-ins. But at the time, I was just focused on, you know, gymnastics and studies, studies in gymnastics. Um, I sympathized with, with many of my friends who were protesting the, the war. Um, and in fact, maybe this would be related to your question, Gary, uh, a, a time to just share a story that, uh, that I tell about Socrates and I walking down the street on Telegraph Avenue. Uh, and we walked by some posters about starving children and oppressed peoples, the Vietnam War raging. And I turned to him and I said, Socrates, you know, you have me doing all this work on myself. Uh, navel gazing, you know, if you will. I, self-analysis, meditation, self-massage, all this uh, processing. And I said, shouldn't I be more active? Shouldn't I be a, a social activist and do more good that way? And he didn't say anything at first. And, and then he turned to me and said, take a swing at me. And I went, did you hear what I just said? He said, come on, I'll give you five bucks if you can slap me on the cheek. I thought it was some kind of martial arts test he was giving me. So I bobbed and weaved and took a swing at him and found myself on the ground in a rather painful wrist lock. And I actually got this scene into the movie uh, two weeks before they started shooting the Peace for Warrior movie. The director, to his credit, inserted the scene where Socrates uh, lets me up to my feet and, and as I shake out my wrist, he, he says, you notice a little leverage can be very effective? And I said, yeah, I noticed. And, and so he says, well, you want to help people, definitely do what your heart tells you, reach out, but don't neglect the work on yourself that will allow you to ha- develop the clarity uh, to know how to exert the right leverage at the right place at the right time. And that's, of course, the point of the story. Uh, and that's what I strove to do for my remaining years. And again, that, that story is apocryphal, of course, uh, as you know, having read the book. Um, but it makes a good point in terms of it's not a matter of either or. It's not a matter of being socially active in the world or working on yourself. Both are helpful and necessary. Hmm. And, and as far as being at the epicenter, yes, I was. And as you know, I was at the Longshoreman's Hall at the first Trips Festival doing a trampoline exhibition that I described. That was described yes. by the founder. Uh, so uh, it was quite stimulating, and it was a time of anything goes. It was all on the table. And I love that you were willing to take that voyage and then write about it 
in multiple books that give us a sense of what that can be like. Because most of us, I will say, and this is not by casting blame in any way, it's just the habits we get into. We're so busy putting our nose to the grindstone that we really don't know what's going on around us and can't make sense of hardly any of it. But we are these animals where we have skin and blood and bone and a mind that can go in any number of directions, sometimes all at once. That's the mad monkey mind, right? And we are looking for the deeper meaning of life. I almost feel like we're just hopelessly chasing a golden rabbit down a trail that never ends. But but there's this part of us that persists, that wants to keep on seeking, keep on chasing. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, but, you know, I believe most of us, even those of us who might describe ourselves as questers, as seekers, um, I was reminded by one of the four mentors, by the guru, who said that the search only reinforces the sense of dilemma that sends us seeking in the first place. Uh, Most of us spend most of our time and attention appropriately in the conventional world. Uh, And again, we need to, uh, handling education and work and family relationships here in everyday life. But I think this whole idea of the search refers to a yearning that I believe, again, is in each person Sometimes it only strikes us when we wake up in the night or in dreams or early in the morning, when we wonder in moments, what is it all about? And we seek that bigger picture. It's as if we are functioning down in the weeds at the base of a huge mountain. And at some point, though, um, we find ourselves at the peak of the mountain, uh, on the plateau, And we look around at this vast panorama and everything looks more beautiful in the distance. Life's bigger picture. And I think that's what uh, I've gravitated toward and what I've sought to describe. Uh, And in my first book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, many people were moved by it because it reminded them of the higher potential, higher promise of life, even as we function in everyday life. Excellent. Well, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, and before I think we have a little time before we go to yeah, our go, brain, ahead. go ahead. Dan, taken as a survey, and I'm talking really in a sense about a generation of thought leaders, though they may have described themselves in very different terms back in the day. But your own assessment, Dan, of gurus, the notion of a guru. I talked to a, a man, this this gentleman, whom I still greatly, he's long past, but I still admire him greatly. He went from Princeton Theological Seminary to my alma mater, California State University, Fullerton, in hmm. order to found a religious studies department at a secular university, a state yes. university. Yes. It was my good fortune to take classes from him and from his wonderful colleagues because it allowed me both to question the religious edicts and precepts with which I was raised as a good baptized Catholic who went to parochial school for six years. So that was my mindset there. And I worked my way, you might say tunneled my way mentally through all that. And I'm still grateful to this day that there was somebody who understood clearly that he was all too human. 
He was a fine, upstanding married man with children, great academic reputation, founded a department at a state university. And yet at a Unitarian service where he was the guest speaker, I was given the honor of introducing him. And I described him as a living saint there. And when he started to speak, he said, remember, all saints have clay feet. And I wonder sometimes, Dan, and here's the hard hitting question of the hour. And that is these gurus, do they understand that they have clay feet? Do they understand? I can't speak for them. Um, but I do love that saying, um, all saints have a past and all sinners have a future. Yes. Um, and you know, one of the repeated themes in Peaceful Heart Warrior Spirit is something I learned in depth, which is that all teachers are human and all humans have flaws and foibles and failings. Mm -hmm. And we don't need to ex expect them to be either perfect divine beings with no flaws or fallen angels who have nothing of value to give. There were people in history, artists, for example, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, Michelangelo, who may not have treated women very well. And we might judge them from today's standards and say, you know, they were not very nice people in many ways. But do we reject the David? Do we reject the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and the great art they worked? This is a, an ongoing, I mean, the jury's out on this. It's an ongoing discussion. Um, an actor who uh, turns out to be lost in a scandal or a politician, does that mean they're worthless as politicians or actors? They may be quite good artists. So sometimes we have to recognize the human being who is flawed, but that can still somehow through that imperfect filter create art. Um, so that's, that's my view. And that's what I learned through my own uh, hard experience. And the idea of gurus, you know, guru just means a, a bearer of light. So that can be all of us. We can all be small gurus and share our light and influence other people. But the, the ones with a capital G presumably are enlightened beings. And for example, after working with a professor um, who had a technological approach, do these spiritual practices, this inner work, and you will reach a, 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 some level of enlightenment was his claim. And But the guru said, I'd rather beat you with a stick than teach you to meditate your way to enlightenment. His method was he simply sat with us and transmitted through him, through his physical form, um, because he claimed to be just the divine in human form. Um, a totally enlightened being. And so we sat and he gave a transmission of sorts where we ended up awakening in a very different way than doing spiritual work, which I, again, in the professor's school. So each of these people have a different method. So that's gurus traditionally known are those who, who initiate and transmit this light um, this awakening through their own model, their own human form. Um, that, that's what I, what I would say. Now, that brings up a larger question because people surround a guru hungry. And that brings up the question of cults, which you might have asked me anyway. Um, I was going there, Dan. I well, was going there. Let, let, let me leave that to you uh, in, in case you'd like to discuss that. Uh, no, actually, we need to take our break. But uh, I, I had written down uh, the distinction always seems to be between the message and the messenger. 
you know, you, you get a messenger who can deliver a fabulous message. Gary and I have, have talked about this numerous times, but the messenger is so flawed that, um, you know, you, you want to take the information, but you have to realize the source of that information may be the universe, the matrix, the, the intelligence of the universe, not that particular person who is is a, a very flawed individual. And, and I have to say, um, uh, when I say all teachers have their foibles and quirks, that includes me. Fortunately, I have a wife who will kick my butt if I stray from the <laughs> straight and narrow path. So um, some flaws may be major, others may be minor in various cases. Uh, but unless someone lives what they teach, then their words have no spiritual authority. And if I'm useful to people, it's the degree to which I live according to what I teach. I like that. Also, there's a lot to be said for someone like you who lets your willingness to offer your gifts to the world. Your willingness is your worthiness to do so. I think we need to keep that in mind no matter who we are. We all have something to give. The book is Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit. Dan Millman is our guest. We're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we'll get into these metaphysical weeds a bit deeper. Always glad when Dan Millman joins us. You're listening to Manson Mitchell at Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. This is an encore edition of Manson Mitchell from February 5th, 2022. Their guest was Dan Millman discussing the way of the peaceful warrior. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. 
On Friday, Manson Mitchell, along with DJ Benny, plays summer songs on the cusp of the solstice. Yes, it's DJs for a day. Wear your dancing shoes. On Saturday, Josie Varga talks about afterlife communications from fathers to their family members as we prepare to celebrate Father's Day. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10, right here on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Be sure to support the sponsors of your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our very special guest this hour, Dan Millman. He is the author of Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, and 18 other books. Dan, if people would like to find out about your other books, your website, how can they get the information? Sure. If anybody's curious and would like to drop by, they're cordially invited to PeacefulWarrior.com. Um, and in fact, when they, they'll see on the splash page right there a free life purpose calculator, they might find quite interesting. They just input their date of birth and get some information. And it's right there. Um, and there are many other offerings, the books and the audio programs and online courses and so on. So that's really the best place to, to pay a visit. They can also send me com- uh, comments through the contact uh, link there. Excellent. Peacefulwarrior.com. Very good. We wanted to get back into the weeds of a little bit of what's in your book. You, If you are not living in a cave, you might actually turn on the television once in a while and go, oh my God, what is going on in our country and in the world? And there was something in the book that really kind of spoke to me about um Ascending stages of consciousness. And this was something that you had uh, picked up from the professor when you were with him, the person that you call the professor. And he was saying that at the bottom of the scale is blind belief, which is the opposite of enlightenment. And blind belief is characterized by deep rooted fear, often masked by bravado evidenced by tense muscularity, pent-up violence, and a total identification with beliefs disconnected from reality. The trainer uh, of that work that you were in said a large portion of humanity is struggling at this level. I found that statement hard to believe until decades later, I saw how millions of people still cling to untethered beliefs and conspiracy theories. And I tell you, the bells were going off in my head, the lights were going off, and I'm, I'm just going ding, 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 ding. Is that really what is going on? You know, we, we have some wonderful, wonderful spiritual teachers, and we have people who are trying to get us through this life using the best tools possible. And yet, you know, Gary and I look at each other and think, most people are just so stupid. And this was like right here, blind belief. Yeah. And, and of course, that's a real call for compassion. It's very difficult sometimes to be compassionate. Um, uh, but that's exactly when we need to draw upon that uh, possibility of compassion. So when I first when I first heard this, you know, to put it into context, there are so many different models to try to help us understand where we are, who we are, 
um, including, you know, the Enneagram and the life purpose system that I teach. I wrote a book called The Life You Were Born to Live that describes that in detail. And, uh, you know, over a million people have, have read that particular book. Um, so there, there are many different aspects of, of and models, but this levels of consciousness was one of the earlier ones I came across in the professor's 40-day intensive training. By the way, his name was Oscar Ichazo. Some people may have heard of him, others not. In any case, um, when I first came across this, it, the idea was to let us see realistically where our awareness, where our consciousness was resting at any given moment. Um, and it can change up and down the scale. But yes, the bottom of that scale was blind belief. And, and then it went into social convention, uh, kind of an acceptance of the rules of social reality. Um, and then it goes up into uh, other levels. Uh, but the point you raised, what really, is, and it's interesting because you're the first uh, host um, who has brought this particular point up, and I thought it was a relevant one today. Uh, how, you know, you, well, look, you know that meme that's become very popular that we're each entitled to our own opinion, but we're not entitled to our own facts. Yes. The scientific method pulled us out of the dark ages of superstition. I'm a big fan of science because you can test, you can create research and test. You have a hypothesis, then you test something to see if it works better than placebo, for example. Um, and so that can keep us grounded in how life actually works and what's really going on. Now, we can have all kinds of opinions and interpretations of that, but we don't have our own facts. Um, you know, what, what, sometimes the media says we want to cover both sides of an issue. So this gentleman is here or this lady who believes the earth is round and this one believes the earth is flat. Well, people may have opinions and theories, but we know that the earth is spheroid like not exactly a sphere, but close. Um, so it's not a matter of balancing different views. It's demonstrable. And in the same way, uh, people who say, for example, and again, I'm, I'm waxing into the political arena, but I think you probably were asking for this in a sense. People saying, well, we think there were irregularities uh, in the election uh, and there was some, some fraud. But what does that mean, actually? Were there five irregularities? Were there six cases of fraud? Um, People believe whatever they want without any connection yes. to show me the evidence, actual evidence. Credible people have checked it out, recounts, but that doesn't seem to matter. Right. So it's, it's frustrating for any of us that try to connect with reality. You know, you can look at a scale up and down a vertical bar graph. And at the top of that graph, well, let's say the bottom of the graph would be what we might call insanity, someone who's completely out of touch with reality as it is. Now, I know philosophically, we can say reality is made of many realities. And, and, and Lao Tzu once said, there are three truths, your truth, my truth, and the truth. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of views about reality. But in terms of gravity, for example, it's a spiritual law. It works whether or not we happen to believe in it. It's demonstrable. Um, so at the bottom of the graph is insanity, um, and at the top of the graph, the opposite would be, say, sanity or enlightenment even. 
And we go up and down those scales. Various people do. But some people need to believe a story that makes them feel better. And so they do that. Um, I didn't believe it when I first heard that idea that most of humanity is struggling with that lowest level of consciousness, blind belief. But apparently, um, there is some evidence of it today uh, in, in the larger world. I would like to read another paragraph from your book, Peaceful Heart, Warrior Spirit, that I tied into that mentally. And I, I put these two things together, even though these paragraphs are many, many pages apart. But let me read this one as well. A grand mission avowed by many spiritual groups is saving human culture by illuminating the consciousness of a sufficient number of people. The professor's school and the guru's community express this mission in similar terms, that only by realizing our essential human unity can we reduce or eliminate the divisiveness of war and political squabbles that afflict us to create a peaceful and productive society. This high-minded goal awaits us at the summit of human maturity. But between our current state of consciousness and the mountaintop, we pass through a dark forest of denial, fear, and other challenges along the way. Ideals are what we strive for. Reality reflects who and how we are now. I tied those two together, not in its hopelessness, but for its hopefulness in that if you, if you, if you kind of um, take the perspective that there are levels of consciousness and that our spiritual teachings are attempting to, to enlighten us, to illuminate us, to bring us to a higher level of looking at the unity of life and accepting everything as it is, you were saying that in these levels of consciousness, people go up and down them all the time. Yes, I have a lower level consciousness for sure. I mean, cut me off in the car or do say something nasty and, and I'll, I'll get right you know down in the mud. But I, I think the idea that if you can accept that re the reality that we have looks the way it looks right now, it also says that reality can change. And as you're saying, those levels of consciousness can go up and down. This may be a low point for us right now. And maybe there is a place to go that is higher. Well, I'm also a fan of times of mud wrestling, uh, Suzanne. <laughs> Um, but speaking of that, you know, there's there's an old Serbian proverb, two men looked out of prison bars, one saw mud and the other saw stars. And both mud and stars exist in our world. And if we ignore or deny the mud, then we might step in it. But we also want to remember the stars. And, and that's the transcendent possibilities. That's the hopefulness. Um, the difference between, let's say, sports, I, I feel an arena in which I grew up, and uh, the ideas and philosophy, whether it's politics or other ideas about life, is there's no pretense in sport. 
Um, you know, sometimes I describe meditation and push-ups as two kinds of exercises with different purposes. One to see the nature of mind, the other to get stronger uh, physically. And th- the difference between the two is you can't pretend to do push-ups. So it's not a matter of opinion if somebody is skillful in, in an athletic form or playing a musical instrument. The evidence is either there or it's not. They can't pretend to be a great cellist unless they can demonstrate that. Um, whereas there are many of us who just in the realm say, well, I'm, um, I'm really an insider. I know what's really going on. The ins- this conspiracy theorists, theorists I-, I know what's happening in the world today. Um, without actual evidence, they just cl- cling to a belief that makes sense to them and gives them the sense that they're an insider whether it's theories of diet and different diets people adapt. Um, So we need to, look, I need to say this uh, out of a sense of compassion. Um, One of the central tenets of this approach to living, I call the peaceful warrior's way. And I view everyone, by the way, as a peaceful warrior in training, because we're all seeking to live with a peaceful heart. Everyone out there, whether we agree with them politically or not, we're all seeking uh, love and understanding in our lives. Uh, there's a positive basis for every kind of belief. People want to live well and and wisely. Um, So I say this with compassion, but there is no best book, no best teacher, philosophy, religion, diet, exercise system, martial art. There's only the best for each of us at a given time of our lives. We each have to find out what works for us. So life is an experiment. And yes, in the larger school of life, in the news today, we are learning some difficult lessons. We're learning about conflict. And I've said this when I first began public teaching about in the mid 80s, which was humanity and our survival here. The earth is going to do okay, but humanity, in order to survive uh, as we know it, will have to make the shift from short term personal interest, self interest, to what is for the highest good of all concerned. That sense of unity, recognizing the same consciousness in others as in ourselves. If we can make that shift, if we can begin to look, what's for the highest good of everyone? What's good for seven generations from now, rather than what's good for me right now? Um, We will be able to transform humanity into a life that is absolutely astounding. If we do not make that shift, and right at the moment, it doesn't look like we're making great progress in that area. Uh, Again, we're rubbing our nose in the mud. Um, But if we can make the shift, it's going to be wonderful. If we don't, well, the human experiment uh, won't survive. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Puts me in mind, there's a couple of things I wanted to say here. One is that I continually marvel at how the technological sector in America and other places in the world, of course, but here in America, we are able to do the seemingly impossible. People come from poorer countries, developing countries, and they look at all that we have to offer in terms of material goods and machinery and the ways we get from here to there and back again, and even explore the stars. And it seems like pure magic, something that is unimaginable for human beings to do, and yet we're doing them. These same people have been known to say, 
you create miracles with your technology, and yet so many of you, most of you, in fact, remain spiritually impoverished. That's yes. the tough challenge in the 21st century. How do we get to marry the two, if it's even possible, Dan? Well, yeah, that's <laughs> thanks for asking, though I don't presume to have the the wisdom to answer that question in any way that will make perfect sense. But I can observe along with you, Gary and Suzanne, that our knowledge seems to be ahead of our wisdom. Um, you know, there's a scene, I, I got into the Peaceful Warrior movie again at the last minute, where uh, Socrates, Socrates throws Dan a squeegee uh, in the old gas station and says, uh, you know, he's talking about knowledge and wisdom. And Dan says, what's the difference? And Sock says, well, knowledge is knowing how to use that squeegee to clean the window. Dan says, yeah. And Sock says, wisdom is doing it. So, you know, understanding, I mean, wisdom is having the perspective, the humility and the perspective to understand the unintentional consequences of our actions. How are we living and how will that impact our future? There are those of us who see that, who intuit that. It seems almost obvious based on the evidence before us. Other people have a lot of knowledge. They may be very smart in many ways, but they don't, they lack the wisdom. We're like children playing with powerful toys still uh, as humanity. And we are going to, you know, life develops what it demands. And the demand before us today is we're going to have to make a leap uh, in perspective and wisdom, uh, which again depends on that sense, remembering. Our essential unity as human beings. You know, there was a, a movie that was sort of a populist movie called Independence Day. Maybe you remember that, the sci-fi yes. movie. What I loved about that movie was that at one point, because of this alien invasion, these creatures from outer space, presumably bad creatures, um, they wanted to take over and subjugate or, or digest whatever humanity. And suddenly... All these different cultures in humanity were absolutely unified. All these people we would have seen as strangers and others. We had a massive big other from outer space to fight. So we all joined together. And it happens. I mean, there was a moment after that tragedy of what happened on September 11th. Yes. Um, that, that humanity was all, they were one. They were saying, we are Americans. We are all one with you. And these moments, we experience that. Unfortunately, it hasn't lasted. But we'll have to remember that essential unity. We have so much more in common. And I mean me and people with radically different political views. We are one. We are all human beings struggling on this planet. We're all peaceful warriors in training, trying to live with a peaceful heart, but recognizing there are times we need a warrior's spirit to stand up and face our future. I wanted to duck in this quote, and thank you for that, Dan. Yes. While we still have a couple of minutes, I wanted sure. to, I'm going to quote a Zen saying, I'm sure you're quite familiar with it. Do not seek the truth, only cease to cherish your opinions. 
And from that, I tell you, it could mean any number of things. Do not seek the truth. Only cease to cherish your opinions. The truth will show up. It presents itself to you by circumstance, by relationships, by a teacher, by a guru. But if you keep cherishing your own opinions, you're not going to grow and you're probably not going to go much of anywhere. Right. Uh, actually, the professor, Oscar Ichazo, first of my mentors, once said that the enlightened uh, uh, being has no opinions. I didn't understand that at the time I heard it, but he was really saying they accept life as it is on its own terms, moment to moment, forming opinions about things. They're like navels. You know, we all have one. Um, but so what? Uh, people ask me my opinion about things and I go, why is that important? Or my beliefs? Why is that important? Uh, we have life. And, 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 you know, that's why the sage, the fourth mentor in, in I describe in the book brought me back to earth because he simplified life based on what we can have more or less control over in our lives. And it was all about the big question, which is each of us can ask, which is aligned with my purpose. What do I need to do now? What action can I take? What is my purpose in this moment? I know my purpose right now, you know yours. Uh, and each of us knows our purpose in any given moment. So we can live on purpose. We can live purposefully in a, hopefully a positive, constructive purpose. And that, that's what really brought me back to earth. Um, you know, Barbara Rasp, a wonderful writer, just once said, the lesson is simple. The student is complicated. So part of what my work is about is to help simplify our lives and bring us back to this moment. I am very encouraged by the mere fact that you think simplicity is possible in a world. And I agree with you. And I certainly aspire to that. Simplify, simplify, as Thoreau said. I love the idea of that because, as Suzanne can tell you, I will lose my religion three or four times trying to get out of the shopping center parking lot up the road from where we are. I'm fighting all of humanity, seemingly, to get my car out of that space onto the boulevard and get us back home. Right. Everything can look that one way, seem like rather a video game until you've played your last game and then game over. And I thought, wow, I need to get a new perspective on all of that so that all those individual moments, as best I can manage, contain a certain meaning and hopefully a certain helpfulness to other people. Yeah. Dan, thank you so much for being with us today. Great conversation. As always. We always love you. having you on Manson Mitchell, and we look forward to the next time, whenever that may be. Lovely. Well, thank you for the invitation. Always a pleasure. Have a great weekend. Stay tuned to us as much as possible on AM 1150. You listen to us and we are here for you.